Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we are in our fifth sermon in the sermon series on Colossians, and we're finally closing in on the end of chapter 1. Now, for those of you that pay attention to such things, there's four chapters in Colossians, which means in the next five sermons we're going to cover three chapters. So I'm probably going to have to take an hour to an hour and a half per Sunday. No, just kidding. Actually... What's happening in chapter 1 is chapter 1 really is laying the foundation for the rest of what Paul is writing to the Colossians. What he's doing is he's, if you will, setting, setting up what is coming. And what is coming is the application, the therefore, the so what, how we can practically apply to our lives what he's laying the foundation for in chapter 1. And in particular, last week we talked about how Paul was writing that Jesus is Lord and he needs to be the Lord of your life. And really, in many ways, this week, he says, the reason is, is because he's your Savior. He needs to be your Savior. And so he's saying, you need to understand, in effect, you need a Savior. Because as then, so now, a lot of people really don't believe, by and large, they need a Savior. You know, not many of us would sit here and say, you know, I'm just a rotten, mean, evil person. Not many people would sit and say that. And even if you were a rotten, mean, evil person, You'd really say, you know, I'm okay, and it really doesn't matter anyway, I don't really care. Or everybody's going to heaven anyway, so what difference does it make? Because we always have a way of justifying ourselves or rationalizing ourselves. But really, most people think, I'm a good person, right? Most of us would say, I'm a good person. And they might even say, well, I'm as good as everybody else and probably really better than most. That's our mindset. And really, if we lock on to that mindset, oftentimes what happens is we actually believe we're earning our way to heaven. If that's our focus, I'm basically a good person. Or I'm basically better than most people in the world. Then naturally, the rejoinder to that is, you know, I'm fine. I'm going to heaven. Instead of the mindset of I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. My my question is, as, as Paul begins to write this and he writes what he writes, do we really understand how we can slide into that? And one of the reasons is, is because when we, when we have our scale, if you will, 
We always look around. We look around at other people. Our standards are fairly low. And most of the times, our standards match whatever we want in the first place. Instead of looking up. Because God's standard is perfection. It's holiness. And once we come to a place in our lives where we realize that, that God is perfect and holy, and no matter how good you are, you still fall short. And therefore, we need a Savior. See, and oftentimes, also, we think if we just have the right knowledge, if we just, as most people would say, believe in God, or know the Bible, as if knowledge is the be-all, end-all of what we need to have. And down through the centuries, and in particular, even in Scripture, when we begin to think that knowledge is really all that we need to maintain, all we need to have, which was one of the problems in Colossae with this Gnostic heresy, they just needed to know the knowledge. You have this secret knowledge, you know the inside track, you've got your mind around it, and so it doesn't matter how you live, because you've got your mind around it. And that's not it. See, because think about it, when Adam and Eve, when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they had knowledge now. And what happened was their life spiraled downward. The Pharisees and Sadducees had the knowledge. They knew the law. They knew how to live. They knew intellectually who God was and what God is like intellectually. They fell short. So it's not just this knowledge that we have, the right knowledge even, about who God is, who Jesus is, what the Scriptures say, what the law says. If God doesn't have your heart and your life. Because we need to empty ourselves. And come to that place where we know we fall short. See, because what happens is when our minds are engaged with the Lord, but not our lives. Over time, we can begin to deceive ourselves. We can begin to rationalize and justify anything about our lives that we want to. Because the world is so seductive and Satan is so seductive in our own flesh that our minds can become confused, compromised. And we end up in denial. We rationalize whatever it is we want about our lives or justify it. Because after all, we know God. We believe in Jesus. We know His Word. But it doesn't translate into our lives. Let me read to you from 2 Corinthians. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled for those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We talked about 
Jesus being in the image of God the last couple of weeks. See, what happens is this veil slowly comes over our eyes, even if we have this right knowledge. Even if we think we've gotten it together. Even if we think we are good people. This veil comes over our eyes and we begin to be blind to ourselves and in denial. See what happens in Scripture, much like Jesus saying to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, You're foolish. You're blind. And then he opened to them the words of Scripture in such a way that had an impact that they realized they missed the point. And then what happened was their hearts burned within them. That once we come to a true understanding of who God is and who Jesus is and that we need a Savior and we come to Him as our Savior and we give our lives to Him, that's what happens. This this burning sensation in our hearts and in our lives. We're filled with the Spirit and we want to be transformed. We want to empty ourselves. That we are transformed by the renewal of our minds. Once we get our minds around Jesus Christ and we submit to His Lordship and we're filled with His Spirit, then we begin to live this life. And that's where Paul is going in this letter to the Colossians. And so to the scripture in front of you, in Colossians chapter 1. And you who were once estranged and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. Now stop there just for a second. Most of you, if you're anything like me, the first time I read this, I said, well, that's not me. Right? Estranged from God? Hostile in mind? Really? Me? You know, the thing is, is that if we really don't know Him, and I'm just not talking about know about Him, if we really don't know Him, we become estranged from Him. Have you ever been estranged from somebody? Someone that you once had a relationship with? That somehow over the years became strained or broken? That you no longer have that closeness, that intimacy that you once had? That you don't walk with the person regularly? That's estranged. And we who were once estranged from God, that we were distant from Him, that we didn't really see Him or look for Him, to walk with Him much like Adam and Eve in the garden, walk with Him in our lives, that He's a daily part of us. Let me read to you from Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, I want to begin with verses 8 and 9 in chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. In other words, you don't earn this. It's a gift. And it comes through Jesus Christ. But he goes on to write, Remember that you were at one time without Christ, 
being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the, the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. A broken relationship. You were aliens. You were in a foreign land. See, if you don't know the Lord, you're comfortable in the world. But once we know the Lord, we're aliens to the world. We don't quite fit in the same way. Because we seek Him. And we seek to live for Him. And there's a difference. You know, this hostile in mind. There's a little bit of a disconnect there. Because we, th- we basically think we're nice people. We're not hostile people. But one way of experiencing hostility, if you've ever experienced, you ever experienced passive-aggressive people? You know what I'm talking about when I say passive-aggressive? See, when we think hostile, we think aggressive people. But we forget about passive-aggressive. Let me tell you about Adam and Eve with passive-aggressive. The first thing they did when they ate the fruit, they hid. There's the passive. And then what did they do after that when God called them out? They blamed That's the aggressive. And that's oftentimes what we end up doing. Passive is we hide from the Lord. We really don't want to have a relationship with Him. We want to be perceived to be good people. You know, to kind of have Christian light in our life. But then, when things do go wrong, We want to blame circumstances. We want to blame other people. That's the aggressive. We sometimes want to even blame God. Because it's not working for us. Because we don't really want to accept His way in our lives. His call in our lives. And so we become hostile in mind. And what begins in our mind eventually translates in our, in our lives. What we begin to believe about ourselves, about God, about the world, we begin to live into. And our minds become clouded towards Him and more embracing of the world. And so this pro- progression takes place in our lives. And the progression is something like this. First of all, we sin. We succumb to temptation. And we sin. And sin causes separation. Sin causes that estrangement. And when we allow that to progress in our lives, the estrangement turns into alienation, a totally broken relationship. And then we even become hostile. And Jesus Christ came to restore us. To bring us that salvation. To bring us that transformation in our lives. So that we are not hostile towards God. Or even estranged from Him. That we have this reconciliation. Through Jesus Christ that we are now connected with Him. We understand His love. We understand His forgiveness. We want Him in our lives. We're filled with the Spirit. not separated. 
not broken. See, what results when we don't have that alive relationship with Him is we end up with a broken relationship with Him and broken relationships with people around us. And we ourselves become broken. And He wants to heal us. He wants to be our Savior. Secondly, what we see happen next, back to Colossians chapter 1. And and He has now reconciled in His fleshly body through death, so as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before Him. Holy and blameless and irreproachable before Him. That's how He wants to present you. See, because the reality is, He is holy. And when we accept Jesus as our Savior, we are covered with His righteousness, His holiness, the symbolism of baptism, the white robe. Let me read to you from Zechariah chapter 3. Joshua the priest. See, we priests, we can look really good in our white robes. Covers up a lot. But Joshua the priest, being accused by Satan, by the way, before the Lord, Joshua was dressed with filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. And to him he said, See, I have taken your guilt away from you, and I will clothe you with festal apparel. See, that's the promise. That we become holy because He is holy. Through the cross of Christ, our dirty clothes, our sin, our guilt, has been taken away. So we, like Joshua, become holy before Him. Remember David. King David. The one who said to have the heart after God's own heart. Who sinned. And when he repented, wrote Psalm 51, which we oftentimes read Ash Wednesday and during Lent. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified in your sentence and blameless when you pass judgment. Indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner for my mother conceived me. You desire truth in the inward being. Therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. See, that's when we recognize we've fallen short. That's when we recognize we need a Savior. And He's the one, by the cross, that makes us holy and blameless. So that Satan, the accuser, can no longer accuse us. Satan, the deceiver, can no longer deceive us. That we become holy like Jesus. We become blameless like Jesus because He has taken on our blame. Oftentimes what happens when we experience that blame because we've sinned and we don't want to repent, we blame others. Or we blame our circumstances. 
And once we accept and say, I'm responsible, Lord, then he brings that transformation. Let's read on. Provided that you continue securely established and steadfast in the faith without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. I, Paul, became a servant of this gospel. That we become irreproachable. That is, no one can bring anything before us. I told my staff, we must live above reproach. That we all sin. That's a given. We all fall short. That's a given. But that when we sin, we don't find ourselves in chronic sin, drifting away from Him, down in that spiral. That Adam and Eve sinned in the first generation after them, there was the first murder. It doesn't take long. That He wants to present us above reproach so that we live a life above reproach. A holy life, a blameless life. And then we build on the sure foundation. Steadfast. Continuing in. See, because it's so easy to slide. It's so easy to compromise. A couple of weeks ago we read from Matthew chapter 7 that we are called to build on the rock, Jesus Christ, not on sand that's constantly shifting. The world is constantly shifting. And when we fall into living for and with the world, we will constantly shift. It's like the parable of the sower. That the plant comes up with no roots and eventually it falls over because we haven't built the depth. It's like the plant that grew up with a thorn next to it that choked out the life. That we need to build on the sure foundation, which is Jesus Christ. And that's why he says, if you continue. This is not a one-time say, okay, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian. And then we move on. But rather that we grow constantly, that we're filled with the Spirit. That we don't become complacent, self-satisfied, self-indulgent. That when we understand what it cost Him to be our Savior, His death on the cross, that we give our lives in return. Jesus became us, like us, so that we might become like Him. Jesus became human. And He took upon Himself the sin of the world, our sin. When he died on the cross, so that we might become like him, holy, blameless. And we build on the foundation of him in our lives. Paul goes on to write something that when you first read it, sounds like a strange idea. I am now rejoicing in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am completing what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body. That is the church. You know, I remember the first time I read that. I thought, wait, Jesus died on the cross for me. That's sufficient for my salvation. What can I possibly add to his sufferings for my sake? Then I realized it's not what he's saying. 
What he's saying is for the sake of his body. In other words, when we begin to walk the walk of Jesus, when we are so filled with him that we live in the world different than the world, when we live in the world and we proclaim the gospel to the world, that as he promised over and over again, if he suffers, we're going to suffer like him. If he was persecuted, we're going to be persecuted. If he was considered different from the world, we're going to be considered different from the world. Because he lives in us. Because he died on the cross, that we die to self. And when we go out into the world proclaiming the gospel, we will struggle, we will suffer, we will be persecuted. Jesus said, if the world hated me first, it's going to hate you. See, we're smart enough, most of us, to know that. And that's one of the reasons why we compromise. We don't always live for Him. We don't always proclaim the gospel. And God calls us to His life. That Jesus came to lay down His life. And that we lay down our lives in return. It's a strange idea. Let me read to you from Philippians chapter 3. I want to know Christ and the power of the resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death. By becoming like him. The challenge is when we live in the world for him, when we proclaim the gospel in the world, We will be challenged. We will sometimes be persecuted. We will suffer. Sometimes we will not live the pleasures the world promises because we live for Him. And that's the challenge of the walk of following in His footsteps. And so Paul says, I'm afflicted for the sake of the church, His body, because I now have taken on His body in the world. See, the church is the body of Christ. So if we're going to be Christ, we're going to be Christ to the world. And the world won't always like us. But we're called to proclaim, nevertheless. Why would we live with this prospect? Doesn't that sound attractive to you? Why would we live with this prospect? It's because He gave His life for us. Once we recognize the depth of His love and the price He paid, once we recognize He died in our place for our sin, that we're called to live for Him. That yes, we live in the world, but not of the world. And not with its priorities and not with its values because we live for Him. And we become His body on earth. Paul goes on to to write this one line that is a powerful, powerful line. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Verse 27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
See, in this world, we're called to live the life of Christ. In this world, we're called to be a servant. But one day, and this is the payoff, one day we will trade in our apron for a crown. One day we will share in His glory. Christ in us, that we now become like Him. We live in Him by the power of the Holy Spirit. And He is our hope for glory. Paul writes this over 20 times in the Scripture. Because this is not our home. This is not our permanent place. By His side, sharing in His glory is our permanent place. We're called to live for Him now. Is Jesus your Savior? Do you recognize you need one? Because if you recognize you need one, then He is not only your Savior, but He's your Lord. And you live for Him in the world. The only way this world is going to change is if we live that life. The only way this world's going to change is if they recognize they need a Savior. And if you look around, things aren't get, getting any better. The world needs a Savior. And the Savior's name is Jesus Christ. The only way this world is going to change is through Him. And the only way you're going to change is through Him. Please bow with me in prayer. <coughs> Father God, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. That because of his love, because of his cross, we might be saved from our sin, holy and blameless and irreproachable. Lord, help us to live into his life. Not merely because we have the knowledge. Not in a way that's aloof or condescending to the world. Or condemning. Not in the legalistic or prideful way. That we are above others. But rather that we are sinners in need of a Savior. You sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to deal with our sin. I pray this, Lord, that every person here this morning would not just have head knowledge, but the knowledge of your Son, Jesus, in such a way that changes their hearts and changes their lives. That we would live for him in this world and not be of this world. That we would proclaim Him Savior 
in a place where we're challenged and questioned and ignored. For the world desperately needs a Savior. And His name is Jesus. And we ask this and pray this through His precious name, Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Amen.